0: Listening to the voice of Howard show. Hello, you rotten little bloodsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dane. Uh, hey, baby. Elixir's the hey Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Well, today I had the good fortune of speaking with a good friend of mine um, and I'm going to use an alias just because I am and for her safety and for her anonymity because she shares on a few things to do with her life that um, you know I think it's, it's valid that we give her a bit of a non, a anonymity. Um, so introducing my good friend Amber Smith. Amber um, and I have known each other for a little while now, and, um, you know, it's really nice to see her uh, evolving and and growing, and um, she's had a wild ride in life, Um, you know, not for the um, faint-hearted, and has some beautiful perspective perspectives perceptions um on life and her own growth and what she sees around her and some of her thoughts you know and they're, they're definitely um they're challenging like um we cover a little bit of ground on some topics that i know a lot of people find hard to uh palate. And um, and then for myself, I noticed like a, a few times, like just my own body language getting a bit like, hey, "You're all fucking all right." Uh, um, so you know, I hope you enjoy my chat with um, Amber. Like I really enjoyed talking to her, and we always have amazing conversations. So, um, Amber, thank you so much for coming over and um, giving me your time. Uh, we nearly got brought to a halt. The two houses over had the the um, the. the the arborists around chopping down trees and um, chippering them chipping them chipping them into the thing so uh we had to stop there for a little bit in the middle um just because they barked up that chipper and it sounded like they were pushing cars through it um on top of the roof It's, it's pretty loud but anyway so we stopped waited till they finished it was couple of minutes and uh, 20 minutes and then, uh, onwards and upwards. So, um, yeah. And, uh, look, this is just another thing. If you know me out there and you listen to this and you know how to get onto the dark web, can you reach out to me? Because I, I there's a few things, topics that I would like to look at and see what people are talking about on the dark web on a few things. Um, you know, nothing sinister. Uh, I just want to have a look at a few things related to medical, like Diabetes and um, a few things like, uh, you know, people's theories on vaccines and and just you know like I do believe that we're being fed what we what a, a bigger agenda wants us to be fed. You know, I think that if the media is owned by corporate multinationals and the government's pretty much paid off by corporate multinationals, then you know, really the shit that's coming down the pipeline on normal media is uh, propaganda. And um, I just would like a counterbalance to that, you know, and it's, it's, you can look at all the forums and you look at, like, everyone's got an argument, everyone's got a bit to say. And just from my own, like you hear about this dark web, like the web that we look at is this tiny little bit of the top. And they say that everything else happens underneath. I, I want to see what that looks like. I just don't know how the fuck I can't even like, is it the matrix? Am I going to, you know, the blue pill, the red pill? I, you know, I would just like to see it. So if anyone has this, Deep dark web in their house, um, or know someone that knows how to access it. Can you let me know? Because I would just like to see it. I'd like to see that it exists. It's in my mind. It's a. It's just a, uh, a a place of you know terrible things and and weapons arm trading and all all the darkness. But I'm sure that there um there are some other things in there too that are probably pretty interesting that don't make it to mainstream media. Blah blah blah. Anyway, I hope you enjoy my chat with. Um, Amber, and um, whoever you are, thanks for tuning in. I'll see you on the other side. you two hours of A
1: complete and total I don't know. Once again, it just errs on the side of cynicism and science. It's just like once it's it, that's it. You're dead. But you do... So have you heard that argument that like some elements or molecules and stuff that were part of another person are now part of you because you're breathing that in or that
0: yeah you amount are amount of carbon you made up you clear patches bathwater. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> like in some way all of this stuff has been somewhere else before so perhaps well
0: earth is a closed circuit
1: there was something I was reading about. So nothing
0: leaves, right? Yeah. You turn into topsoil. <laughs> uh, the rain comes down, moves around a bit. Um, you know, you're evaporated back up. You know, it's everything. You're made up of all history. They say all argument. story is trapped inside of you on a molecular level.
1: Yeah, and there's some argument that even certain... I can't remember. some atoms have memory like they mm-hmm. spin in a certain direction even though they are so far apart from their original source or something like that don't quote me no no
0: no that. there's a thing where if you get an there's, a, I don't know what it is either but if you get an atom and you break it in half and you take one to one part of the world and you shift it like by a degree or something that its counterpart moves to the other side of that degree like yeah. it's still in balance
1: but what does that mean for like personal memory and whether like my memories and my life live on.
0: I love that though that they say that you are not only you you but you are the molecular structure of all your forefathers and their memories and their like in the smallest bit of dna everything
1: still exists. Do you think that's why my grandfather is a total asshole and my brother is also an asshole? <laughs> it's, it's like the same molecules <sighs> spinning inside them making them super mad.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, you know, and we are, um, you know, like patterns do repeat on a generational scale.
1: Not just generational, even at a like...
0: Historical, societal... societal
1: level, things have a way of repeating themselves, but always slightly different for the time and...
0: No, that's, otherwise things would be exactly predictable, um, but they're not. But like you can break... Habits can be broken
1: as we know that one too well see (laughs) Um,
0: so okay so going back on habits so how how are you pretty you're doing quite well academically right now with university
1: yeah I would say I'm mildly happy with it
0: and was it always that way were you academic at school
1: yes very like I don't know if it was a natural gift I think it was more just, I really like praise. So I worked really hard at anything that would get me praise and schoolwork was one of those things.
0: Um, and so what were your favourite subjects?
1: I really like maths, but I'm really not that good at it. Like I don't have that kind of mind that can work things out myself, but given specific formula, I'll do it till the ends of the earth. Like I really enjoy it for some reason really good at english even though i don't like it
0: but okay so what are you naturally good at that you um do like
1: naturally good at that i do like well
0: you like maths i don't really like it but i could do it english i was good at it but i didn't really like it what did you like
1: um like i was an elite gymnast for years and that was probably the most fun i ever had and also some of the worst time of my life but i was good at that
0: so what age did you start there
1: six I think I was. Um, I wanted to do ballet and my mum said no so she took me to gymnastics and something about gymnastics is you can tell whether a kid's going to be good at it almost as soon as they start. Like there's just an aptitude towards that kind of thing and before I knew it by the time I think I was about nine. I was training like 24 hours a week and trying to be really good at something. And initially when I was training in Geelong, it was very, very good. Um, but when we tried to switch to an elite level, um, we learned that apparently it takes a lot more than just talent to be the best.
0: <laughs> and was that like hard on your soul?
1: Um, definitely, I think. Uh, as a kid, you don't know any difference, so you just accept what's in front of you. But the way that they... Used to train gymnasts, I know it's changing now. Came from sort of the Eastern Bloc, like Soviet style, really militarized. (laughs) And it's basically like being a soldier, I guess. Like, do as you're told or get out.
0: How many times a week?
1: Uh, At the most, we trained six days a week, sometimes twice a day, which meant at least four hours, sometimes six hours. Um, Sometimes you train in the morning and at night. A lot of girls were homeschooled. Really? Yeah, my parents drove me back and forth from Melbourne almost every day.
0: Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) It was hectic stuff, I guess. (laughs) And then, like, I just cracked under that kind of pressure, though. You've got coaches screaming at you all the time. If you cry, you're not allowed to be in the gym. If you...
0: If you cry and all that in the gym.
1: Yeah. There used to be a poster on the wall that said, like, no tears, something about no pain. <laughs> <laughs> it was
0: pretty no, no pain, no gain?
1: Yeah, stuff like that. But um, the, it was almost like torture. I mean, like, what came out recently, even in America and Australia, was that not just allegations of sexual abuse in gymnastics, but also that the training itself was a human rights violation. right which is because essentially kids are protesting and saying that hurts and they just keep going, like, which is not cool. It's essentially torture, but that's how they made Olympians originally.
0: Yeah, no, totally. But how how does that fare on your scale? Did you you experience, you know, because there has been a major inquest.
1: It was validating in a sense to learn that, like, what you experienced – wasn't good and it wasn't right because at the time it it felt really awful and you couldn't understand why you couldn't hack it and crying all the time and you're very depressed and previously this sport made you very happy and but the kids that could hack it they became the best in the country I am a very sensitive soul (laughs) could not hack it at all (laughs) I remember a coach asked me once, he's like, why are you crying? I'm like, I don't even know anymore, man. I'm just crying all the time. Yeah, you've
0: been pushed over the <laughs> brink. Yeah, and like... You'd say that that's a bit of PTSD or something, wouldn't you? It's some sort of...
1: I guess so, but kids are pretty resilient things.
0: Like well, they are, but they also suffer trauma.
1: And I mean, I spoke to somebody from gymnastics Victoria recently and he was very interested in changing the sport for the better after that inquest, and I said to him, you know, gymnastics is an amazing sport. It made me really self-disciplined. Like, I still have incredible strength and agility today because of it. And I thought it was a beautiful sport. Like, I mean, you can be extraordinarily athletic and artistic at the same time, and it feels like flying, to be honest. It's probably the closest you'll come to flying without some kind of aid. But the mental cost of it was extreme and like it would be nice if women men as well walked away from the sport feeling more confident in themselves rather than kind of broken because essentially you've learned that your intuition and your feelings weren't valid you're going by the coaches at all time which sets up an environment that is just really conducive to abuse I suppose I mean, if from the get-go, you're saying, like, this hurts, this stretching position hurts, and someone is saying, no, it doesn't. You're kind of <laughs> like, no, it doesn't. We're going to keep going. It kind of just teaches you from the beginning that your feelings aren't valid, and you don't know what's right, and you think you're tired, you think you're exhausted, you think you want to quit, but people are telling you no. like Keep going. It just sets you up to not trust yourself in the future. And... Not to mention the whole eating disorders thing.
0: So w- when when did that become like something that you realised was, you know, I'm sure there's a window there where you go from obviously not having a disorder to a part where you kind of like going, oh, fuck, what's this new pattern?
1: Yeah, I'm not well anymore. Mm. A lot of those sports where women are required to maintain body shapes that are not natural like a basically a prepubescent level you're going to encourage eating disorders from the start I mean you've got eating disorders among jockeys even because they need to have such a low weight anything that is kind of weight focused I've heard of eating disorders even in weightlifting and stuff like that for people to make certain grades they will do extreme things and it's hard to know what's a disorder and what is not when at you know 12 years old they're lining kids up to weigh them in front of each other and when my mum questioned this they said oh it's just to make sure they don't weigh too little like we want to make sure they weigh enough but in my experience I saw them blatantly sort of have a go at the older girls for gaining weight and telling them that they shouldn't eat dairy. And it's part of that, like,
0: probably just, like, hormones and puberty and things like that.
1: Yeah, and naturally, if you're watching older girls who are starting to develop, you're watching them not be as good at their sport or shunned for it or basically punished for it, you become very afraid of puberty yourself. Like, shit, I don't want that to happen to me. Like, being small makes me good at my sport but you can't stop nature, and here it comes. And I just remember distinctly going like, oh, I don't want to borrow this, no way. <laughs> it's like, well, what's the best way to do that? It's like, well, will just stop eating. And I don't think anybody noticed for a period of time, but I know some girls will say that they, they didn't know they had an eating disorder. It was almost like I knew right from the start. I was like, this is wrong. This is going against my body's natural needs and but I'm going to do it anyway because the goal I want is more important and unfortunately my personality type and the sport itself sets you up for that kind of sacrifice mentality I guess like if you're top 10% in the state or the country you're naturally going to be a person that does extreme things to get what you need or to get To be the best, I guess. Yeah. You're used to sacrificing and being in pain Mm. to be the best. So you take that personality that was like, I'll do anything to be good at school. I'll do anything to be the best at this sport. I'll do anything to be thin. Um, Before you know it, you're popping all sorts of pills, laxatives and throwing up food. And to you, this doesn't seem extreme because pain usually meant some kind of gain. (laughs) we even have a culture of this if you've noticed like this a hundred percent all the time sacrifice and do so much to get to some kind of goal and if you're not constantly pushing then what are you who are you like there's yeah everybody a little bit to blame for this kind of mentality i suppose
0: well to some degree it's like pretty much in every sport today right
1: yeah, it's kind of like that. You will sacrifice everything and anything to be the best. I think it's very American, like you know, their idea that you're either winning or you're nothing. And this culture has come across to Australia, and I came across it. You particular. have to say it's, it's
0: yeah. Russian as well,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but
0: I the, know. Go drag out the back and shoot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <but> <laughs> like, I don't know, that documentary on Netflix, like Athlete A, they kind of hit the nail on the head, like a you know, country of winners, and we love winning, and Australia is becoming more and more like that too, but this concept that you will sacrifice your young to win, their happiness...
0: Well, I'm not child. sure. I'm, I don't know. Your, it doesn't sound like your parents did it, but a lot of parents these days live vicariously through their children. Push, 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 You're yeah, gonna yeah. Be, you know from the young age. It's all about who can get their child with a photo at the youngest age possible onto Instagram, saying, "Look, he started <laughs> when he was two months old." <laughs> I
1: don't That's know. That's an I, exaggeration, I but you know love what I mean. I'd love to see a celebration of the average in a way, which you see a little bit of that pushback now. You're like, well, now we have models that look like just normal people and there's kind of a bunch of people saying like, hey, being average is okay. Or and I don't understand why you go to national competitions as a kid and coming second was frowned upon. Like, wait! You just came second yeah, in the that. whole country. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but suddenly being the best in the class isn't good enough.
1: Yeah, but. I remember my mum being like, "Yay! This is awesome!" Like, she thought it was amazing. Like coming second in the whole country at these national competitions, she thought it was incredible. What well, is? And this coach just completely cutting her off. Like, no, she only came second on a singular apparatus. It's not good enough. Like,
0: in the whole country, you did.
1: Yeah, but it's only one apparatus. Which apparatus? <laughs> I was really good at beam. Beam? Yeah. Did you? Fuck
0: me, beam is gnarly.
1: What? Just because it's so narrow? Or?
0: Yes. And the, the like, you could fall off either side or down the middle.
1: Yeah, that hurts. Yeah. <laughs> I sort of don't understand. Oh, people don't understand. They watch little girls flipping and dancing around and they make it look so easy that they don't realise how much pain goes oh, behind it. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> the beam, you came second. Yeah, but it was like... It wasn't like I was at their top, top level or anything. Like, you've got to imagine a club where you've got gymnasts competing for positions on the Australian team and, like... Here you are at like fifth level down international, then it's just not good enough. like there are con- it's constant, more, 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 better, 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 and nothing it creates a personality where nothing is good enough. I still experience it today. Get a hundred percent in one thing, go back to ninety five not good enough
0: <laughs> yeah it's. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's a gross imbalance. Um, And, uh, well, is the inquest over?
1: Yes, that ended a a little while ago. But what was appreciated was the fact that Gymnastics Australia and Gymnastics Victoria took it on themselves to make distinct changes. And when I spoke to someone, he said that their main goal was to initiate change immediately. They didn't want a slow cultural change. They wanted an immediate change and that anybody that wasn't gonna go by those changes was out. They want coaches that facilitate you know, body autonomy and listening to people's feelings and how they're feeling during training sessions rather than just what the coach says goes. And hopefully it creates a better environment. I spoke to a woman who said her daughter was up at the VIS now that she had found it a lot more conducive to I suppose supportive of the gymnasts themselves mm. which would be a really good thing to see. I don't want to cancel the whole sport just mm. because they adopted some severe training
0: well, the greyhounds are the same.
1: <laughs> we well, could just sit down with greyhounds and let's like, see how they feel.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I think they had... The, didn't they do an inquest into the dish lickers? Mm-hmm. And those guys were just like... It was horrible what was happening to those dogs.
1: Yeah, so I mean, horrible. we're pretty
0: barbaric at our core, humans.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not that long ago that it was...
0: It's not that long ago there was death camps.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is probably.
0: I mean, you know, when you look at history and you think of all the barbaric things that uh, are having I looked at a look thing on Genghis Khan this morning. Morning, Genghis. Um.
1: <laughs> what, like, Pol Pot? How far back do we need to go? There's so many, and that's only in this century. Right. And that's I
0: mean. just going back to the start of our conversation. I worry that we are just so, like, blase to, you know, not questioning direction at the moment. We're like, it's going to be good forever. <sighs>
1: <laughs> Nothing is good forever. I, no. know, I was watching something the other day that said, like... Well, right it can be, peak. but we've got to
0: guard it, right?
1: Powers no, right f- at the peak of civilizations, everyone just goes kind of a bit... Kooky? Yeah, and if you... I don't know, you watch things like the Kardashians and just... Oh, yeah,
0: but those guys <laughs> should be, like, politicians.
1: <laughs> and, like, this extreme wealth and people just doing idiotic things with it it's kind of disgusting like that kind of opulence and it's just gross like so gross but apparently this peaks in every empire and people with just ridiculous wealth doing ridiculous things and apparently that's the sign of our downfall
0: with or is that on the back side of the slide or the pinnacle of the slide
1: Mm. I'd say we're already on the way down. Oh,
0: yeah, okay. Yeah, good. I uh, just got visions of that fire in Mexico Gulf in the water. Just.
1: <gasps> oh, my God. That, that, and these tiny yeah, little yeah. ships it's just like... Sh-
0: sh- they weren't even trying to put it out. I think they were just protecting the rig from heat. Oh,
1: because that's the most important thing. Yeah, protect the rig. Yeah, protect the money. That's the most important thing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so how old were you when you stopped at um, gymnastics?
1: Um, I was f- 15, I think, or 14 and a bit. Um, I could only describe it as a bit of a nervous breakdown.
0: <laughs> oh, so you finished well before while well, you're still at school?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was training a lot, and I remember I dropped down from an international level to a national one, and it was I was doing well for a while with a particular coach. She left. Um, back to that authoritarian style and um, I think a good coach knows how to coach the person that's in front of them so they adopt will adapt mm-hmm. to that yeah, kid yeah, 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 you know, totally. some kids at school you need to really firmly tell them what to do for them to do anything otherwise yeah. they don't respect you or they don't care yeah. whereas there are some kids who you give them any negative feedback and they just crumble mm-hmm. which is me mm-hmm. <laughs> like any slight mm-hmm. negative feedback and I'm on the floor whereas you give those kinds of kids positive reinforcement and they just flourish where but I wasn't getting that and I stayed in it probably a year longer than I wanted to, mainly because my father was. He didn't get any opportunities as a kid himself, so he saw it as a really amazing opportunity to compete at that level, and something that they sell all parents is like, you know, your kid could be an Olympian, mm. but um, they don't really sell what kind of sacrifice that's going to take, or where you'll be after that or if you'll be one of those special eight that make the team if you don't injure yourself in the meantime Mm, a unicorn yeah (laughs) so I stayed in it a bit longer but then I was like no I think the draw of like real life part of training that often and being a gymnast is not experiencing social life at all but it meant that I was kind of dropped back into the middle of year eight or year nine I think it was and kids are cruel what,
0: what <laughs>
1: especially mean? at that age
0: yeah why what would happen? <laughs> what happened, happened to
1: you <laughs> <laughs> i think something happens to everybody in high I school <laughs> but i had no idea what was going on i had no idea how to socialize like i didn't know what i didn't know that everybody was wearing a bra now like it was girls schools are particularly nasty in a way like I had no idea how to talk to boys. People were talking about sexual things. I was like, that's fucking terrifying. Like, it all sounded awful to me, which I think only exacerbated what was the beginnings of an eating disorder. I was like, I'm gonna stall that puberty adult thing because these guys sound fucked, and I don't want a bar of it. And I'm particularly year nine, And Year 10 were pretty difficult and by the end of year 11 I'm sort of full-blown anorexic and losing my mind.
0: (laughs) Did you finish school?
1: Um, No I finished a few subjects in year 12 I didn't go the English exam I think I was really drunk and turns out that's the only subject you need. (laughs) I think a part of the running logic at the time was if I can't be the best at it, I'm not going to do it at all.
0: Mm, All or nothing or something. Yeah. Mm.
1: So the subjects I did go to, I did really well in. I just refused to go to the English exam. And that's how I landed myself at TAFE. But I don't think that the VCE certificate is a very good reflection of people's intelligence. I (laughs) concur. I think it's just a reflection of how studious one is and if you can pay attention long enough and how good your recall is.
0: Yeah. Which meant that... Can you you retain this information of bullshit? Like, I just remember looking and listening going, I don't give a fuck (laughs) who the Crusaders were in the fucking whatever part of 1600s that was. And... um, Look, people are kicking the football outside. Oh, look, there's, um, there's someone walking across the oval. Oh, um, well, I just
1: don't understand why, okay. Tension span. Of Physics is hard. Chemistry, it was hard. but I liked it, but it was hard. But why, just because something is academically difficult means you get more points whilst I watch people spend hours on portfolios and studio art and they get less score? Mm. That makes no sense to me. Mm but oh, I suppose they have to use some system to grade people. And well,
0: that's because they're grooming you for a commerce-driven society of, um, <laughs> I love to say GDPs, you know, like um, are you contributing to the growth factor, which is, or are you going to go and become part of the arts? And I know,
1: but imagine society without arts, how boring that would be. And like well,
0: don't, have a freak out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, I don't understand why... I, I, I do understand we really need nurses and things like that, so we made the degree cheaper. However, we took that money from the arts and we made those like, kind of education more expensive. But we have this kind of hero worship of people in the arts, like bands and actors and actresses and all sorts of things like that. So if we value them so highly, why do... We're suddenly not funding it. Like.
0: Uh, that's because we're out of balance at the moment, I'd say. You know, like the structure's there and it's sort of, it's okay, right? Because inside everyone is a different driving force. Mm. Otherwise, we wouldn't have scientists, nurses, doctors, because that's at people's call. That's who they truly believe that they are, right? So they're supported in that journey from yay to nay. But people who have a different yearning and can't quite often see it at the start, um, they're not supported. It's just like you know the system supports those that have that. Like, oh, I'm going to be a, I want to be a builder. I want to be a, you know, it's a very, it's very rudimentary. It's and the,
1: I hate this idea that we're defined by our job.
0: Like, no, I know, yes, I like know. It's sort
1: of like you go on dating apps, it's one of the first things we ask each other. And what do you do? What do you do? And reading something the other day, it's like, why do we say I'm just a waitress or I'm you know, I'm just working at the cinema as if it's somehow less
0: defines who you are. Or you're somehow
1: less valuable than somebody who is a doctor or a scientist or a builder. Like somehow because you serve food, you're less of a person, whereas it's quite an essential service, isn't it? Like, well,
0: look, people, uh, you know, we're all, look, I believe if we're supported and in the right environment, everyone can be in a beautiful state of mind. And someone like... It was a cab driver that told me this. Your mind is like an island. And if you don't adhere to it and do certain things, it becomes like the island... on The jungle on the island gets overruled and all the beasts come out and fucking it gets really scary on that island because it's just fucking mayhem. And... No one wants to visit that island, it sounds right? Sounds
1: like drug addiction.
0: Yes, and total so mess. Total mess. <laughs> and then if you take care of your mind by doing, you know, like all the good things we know we're supposed to do: eat well, sleep well, meditate, do things that like a, a, a singing to our intuition that we want to do, you know, and living a fulfilled sort of life, whatever the fuck that looks like to its individual person then the mind becomes like uh it's like someone's gone in there like the gardener's next door that we can hear trimming away it's all groomed and there's paths and waterfalls Beautiful. and everyone wants to come on the island but and doesn't then, that other
1: part of your mind sneak in i'm like no you're gonna be the best at something and the best takes sacrifice and so you're gonna work until you die
0: <laughs> well and then but hold on let me finish the metaphor and then people <laughs> driving past your island they're like wow let's go visit that island that's cool oh we could maybe we we could put up some billboards on that island like anyway <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is a fucking cab driver telling me this and it's yeah i don't know what put me there but um so where i was driving with
1: that is some people you meet are fucking rude assholes right oh that but- some of the worst people and they have some of the quintessential good jobs or what defines them as highly valuable members of society and they are assholes and i have met people that stack supermarket shelves that have told me extraordinary things and are some of the most peaceful beautiful people i've met Find assholes everywhere <laughs>
0: So the point being, are the people arseholes or are they arseholes because they are not living their truth, right? So the further you get away from your core of who you are and you have a bunch of... Like some people have the worst life hard knocks that just seemingly happen out of the blue. And you think, fuck me, if I lived through that, wouldn't I too be a fucking guarded arsehole? Like, you know, the saying is we can be all things.
1: What hurt people hurt people
0: hurt people, hurt people.
1: I've heard that one. Hurt people, hurt people.
0: Um, now they've started the chipper. Love it. Love it. Um, (laughs) it really sounds like it's on top of the roof. I'm just going to look at the recordings and see if it's picking up. Yeah, slightly. Anyway, let's just keep talking and see where it goes. Um, (laughs) really sorry if you can hear the chipper next door. Um, so that's, that's so, so loud. loud.
1: <laughs> by that point, by year 12, it's like you couldn't keep it together anymore. It was like I was trying to be the best at several different sports after gymnastics. I was doing platform diving and calisthenics and ballet, school captain. Wow, overachieving. Um, yeah, overachieving at everything, and when I put that aspect of my personality towards things that people approved of, they just said, "Great, more." And but when I put that aspect of my personality towards an eating disorder, suddenly people got really upset.
0: Mm. Like. So you have like the, the Terminator-like focus.
1: Yeah, once I put my mind to something, it's. It's all our focus on and we generally end up with good outcomes if it's something that society approves of, Mm. (laughs) which is weirdly it's the same sort of personality that means you can quite easily end up an addict or have an eating disorder or mental health problems. But channel that into something that is deemed appropriate, like making lots of money or being really good at school. Like, this overachieving mentality is really approved of. But it's it's the same drive. You point it towards something destructive, like an eating disorder, and it's really dangerous. Mm.
0: Like but it, is that a choice or a reaction?
1: It felt like a choice. I've been taught that it's not, really. Like, you're looking for coping mechanisms because life is stressful, and you're looking for something that makes you feel better, and if something makes you feel slightly good, we tend to do it over and over again. It's like a hijacking of our pleasure and reward system. It's like the rat. Press the button. Get yeah, the food. Yeah, exactly. So it was like, okay, lose some weight. Feel a bit better about myself. Maybe I'll do that again. Unfortunately, when you get people who are always going to do things to extremes and to the best of their ability, it's like someone says, hey, 1,600 calories makes you lose weight. I'm like, all right, 800. 800 isn't working as well as you want to find 400 and Before you know it you're eating only rice crackers and losing your mind very slowly (laughs) By the time I got to year 12, I'd well and truly lost it and It was obvious by that point. I think that's when I had my first admission to hospital and That wasn't fun
0: (laughs) Were you you aware of the the decline or were you like, why leave me alone?
1: I was aware that my behaviour was very erratic and I knew that throwing up your food was very unhealthy and I particularly didn't want to do that part of it anymore, but I didn't want to gain any weight either. I didn't think there was anything wrong with being ridiculously skinny because the media advertises this, doesn't they? Like, lots of gymnasts and ballerinas and stuff are this skinny, so surely there's a way to do it and be okay. I didn't want to throw up my food anymore because that something very violent about that act in itself, mm. which makes you know that you're doing something very wrong. Mm. Like, um, you can sort of starve yourself quite quietly. And it feels kind of almost out of this world and ethereal, but once you start ramming your fingers down the back of your throat, something feels really, really wrong about it. Like, it feels like you're doing something, like a crime against yourself or something. Not to mention the shame and the stigma and the embarrassment that came along with it. remember a friend finding out once and she was like how can you do that to yourself you know there are people starving in the world this is just disgusting so the reaction of people around you was quite often one of anger which made you more upset at yourself and your only coping mechanism is like hey I'll starve myself more but this very strange thing happens when you starve yourself (laughs) you become hyper obsessed with food and Sometimes you'll find yourself just binge eating without any premeditation. You just body takes over. (laughs) It feels like you're in some kind of trance or something.
0: Oh, the only thing that I can relate to is like every now and again, if my sugars get low, like they sneak down and I sort of haven't caught the warning signs. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I'm fucking low. And then I just get like this overwhelming need knee jack to eat. And I, like, eat... W- I can't stop. Like, it's like I'm yeah. the munchies and I'm stoned because everything's a little bit off and I just want to eat. Everything tastes so fucking good. And it's
1: like having the blinders on, the only focus was, like, I need to eat. I need to eat as much as possible and I need to do it now. And, like, nobody could stop you, like, anything. And then it was like you'd snap back into yourself, realise what you had done, and because you have this enormous phobia of gaining weight which is amplified by the irrationality of starving, you suddenly feel like you have to do something about this immediately. (laughs) So hence you start throwing up and it creates this vicious cycle of starving, binging, purging, and around and around and around you go. And it's the only thing in your life. And it's very miserable, very painful, (laughs) like thinking about it now that that was the only focus of your entire life seems quite sad to me
0: well I have heard it's the hardest like pattern to break because you know you've got a problem with hair on well you do it till the wheels fall off and then best not to do heroin anymore so you don't go near where the heroin is right but you've got to eat to live
1: yeah you've got to eat and you've got to eat a certain amount to keep yourself going and be healthy but then also food is a part of who we are culturally and socially and emotionally and even you watch the television and one ad will tell you to eat healthy and be fit and great and the next ad is some kind of thing for a bikini and look how skinny she is and the next one is like guilty indulgence you should eat all this ice cream like quite a confusing message going on there
0: yeah let's not get our information from the telly
1: no (laughs) (laughs) but it's everywhere i know it was
0: was magazines right and everything that you looked at advertising
1: particularly at that time you had like the overhang of heroin chic from the 90s and like sticks thin models and just kate moss kate moss (laughs) I feel like I told mum if I die like you can blame Kate Moss <laughs> It's like she was the one <laughs> but this androgynous look is very impractical for women
0: so hold on, androgynous
1: so it's, it's kind of you don't have I guess you don't have aspects of what makes female or male quite, it's like quite prepubescent androgynous look you know, flat chested, mm. no hips Stick thin legs I mean, it's quite an androgynous look you would have remembered it from the 90s everyone kind of looked like they were on heroin just really thin really pale and they look like teenage boys
0: yeah I suppose it's the focus thing right I wasn't like the people that I thought about like that it was Kurt Cobain
1: yeah you know <laughs>
0: um, but then you had the flip of that you had like your marking marks and you know, like, I suppose where my focus has always been has been, like, you know, the, the strength aspect. of like Yeah, to be sh-
1: but there were men that I was in hospital with who had eating disorders themselves, and quite a lot of them got too thin, but a lot of them were hyper-focused on, like, gaining muscle mass, and that was their problem. They could not stop exercising. Mm. Um, I watched something recently where a woman said that, Mental health conditions usually reflect the society at the time. So, you know, you've got hysteria <laughs> a few centuries ago, I think it's like in the early 1800s, even, which is like talking about women's problems. Apparently, the solution was like masturbation or something <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> it's just it seems ridiculous now but like what is it a symptom of it's a symptom that women didn't have control of their lives they didn't have a say in things couldn't have a bank account they had to do whatever their husband said like perhaps this hysteria was just a symptom of people not having autonomy of their lives mm. could possibly be that whereas now you've got eating disorders at a time when we have such an abundance of food but the focus is on what's difficult to attain which is that balance balance is difficult to attain but like the hyper focus on what is rarely seen so people well fed and healthy and things like that that's common so we want the uncommon and that's what people tend to strive towards you look at renaissance paintings women are very full of figured and it's because it was difficult to be that healthy at that time, food was a scarcity, so most people were quite thin. And, like, that would have been the better thing to be at that time. So women were hyper focused on gaining weight and trying to gain weight. Like.
0: Okay, so going back to you and when you were hospitalized and you went through whatever kind of rehab and teachings that you were to learn about what, what has happened to you to this point. I suppose they probably delved in on your uh, stressful career as a gymnast.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was less... aspects. It was less about teaching you why you were that way. Most of the... In an inpatient situation, most of the focus is on regaining the weight because they argue that you can't learn shit while you're starving, which is what's so distressing about the recovery process in that realm is that you actually have to go through the difficult part of regaining the weight before we can do any mental health therapy. Normally when people stop drinking or stop taking drugs, they start to feel better relatively quickly.
0: Unless there's something else that they're drinking and taking drugs for, that's they're they're, they're using that to hide.
1: Yeah. And that will usually come out, but you don't get, you don't get physical relief immediately from gaining weight. You're yes. actually in a lot of discomfort and distress
0: because your idea of body image and where you should be it's not matching up.
1: Yeah, it's not fun. And okay. <laughs> like most of it is revolved around your worst nightmare which is just sitting down and eating day after day and it's none of it's your choice and if you don't eat they threaten to tube feed you which is painful in itself and I think a lot of individuals see it as a, well, as it's a choice. So therefore, they see it as quite adolescent and childish. Like you know, you're just choosing not to eat. And you're making life difficult for everybody. Um, sometimes I could see how it was childish. I know the therapists say to me once that I was just being a brat and cut it out, <laughs> 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 which he was right to a point, but. Um, What's underneath underneath it is a sense of control over your own life when things don't seem to be in control. I think it's really common in young women who are about to head into adulthood because they just... The life they've known is about to change and they don't want it to, so they latch onto this thing they can control. And all sorts of other things are involved, I suppose, whether there's abuse or anything like that involved or perhaps... like society itself sometimes they just think it's a diet gone wrong <laughs> mm. which is bad to say it's just a diet gone wrong it's just a lot of mental health problems are bio psycho mix yeah
0: I'm, I'm sure it's not as black and white as anything right because you can say the list is long the laundry list is long of what affects a young mind
1: Yeah, and how to cope with certain
0: situations. You've
1: got your social environment and what happened at home, and then you've got whether your sports impacted you, if that was part of your environment. Then you've got your predisposition to it. If you're naturally a perfectionistic, obsessive, sensitive person, you're more likely to develop an eating disorder. Like
0: yeah like at 16 i was awake to smoke way too much pot, and i developed uh like a um like in the end it was like a psychosis i'd hear children's voices in the background that weren't there when i was not good not good no (laughs) and then that um rallied into massive panic attacks that lasted for months and i couldn't sleep uh But I feel like I got out of that period relatively unscathed to what could have gone.
1: Yeah, I mean, I had no idea that what I was, like, the day that I decided to stop eating, basically, I had no idea that it would last for the next 10 years, and it would take almost everything from me down to my own autonomy in my life, and your sanity, and any hope of jobs or education or anything. I and mean, people warn you like you'll blink and you'll be 30 and you'll still be stuck right where you are. But I had no idea at the time it was going to continue on for so long.
0: And was it was it like 26 or 30 how long?
1: I was about 28 when I finally came to some kind of recovery decision which You could argue that that actually started a long time ago. It's just that the recovery rate from this is very, very slow, like two steps forward, one step back, and sometimes like eight steps backwards. Like I was kind of on this cycle of gaining weight, not being able to deal with the gaining weight, so drinking a lot to cope with that... And then I would get to a weight that I couldn't stand anymore and I would starve myself back down to around 40 or 35 kilos. Then they put you in hospital and everybody cracks the shits and around and around we <laughs> go. But at, like, 28, I just have to remember having a distinct feeling that I was going to die that way and it was probably going to take a long time because we have an excellent healthcare system in Australia that likes to save people from themselves. <laughs> and I was like, "This is going to take a long time. It's going to be really painful and really miserable and i don't I don't want to die this way. like just don't and um, I initially went to recovery to just to get sober. I was like if I could just stop drinking, maybe I could maintain a low ish weight, like maybe I could like hang on to parts of the eating disorder but not drink anymore and be okay um I think I have COVID to thank for most of my recovery, actually. (laughs) Like, um, it meant being in a less stressful environment. Like, for a while there, it was like eight months of not working, not seeing too many people, just being around really supportive people. And it meant that I could slowly gain weight and be in this environment of acceptance and self-love I guess as corny as that sounds but um getting sober taught me about acceptance of things I can and cannot change and I just took that over to the eating disorder like this is my body it is the way it is I might not like it but having an acceptance of it is much easier than trying to fight it on a physiological level (laughs) like you're literally trying to go against science by saying you can live on 800 calories or something, and like no matter what I do, my body will always kick back, and I will end up around 50 kilos, and that's where it wants to be. It'll always find its way back there. Bodies are extraordinary things. What are you at weighing at now? I think I weigh around 55 kilos. Is that um, that sounds like you look pretty well
0: to me? It looks like a pretty natural. State of being?
1: Um, physically, I feel very, very healthy. When I look in the mirror, it can be quite distressing. But at other times, I've got this new thing coming through, which I think comes from a bit of mental clarity and not drinking, not taking drugs, is that it's healthy. Um, I also have to accept that from doing that kind of elite sport for many years, I will always have the body of an athlete, like... <laughs> There's nothing I can do about it. You can't starve your shoulders down or something. Like, you're just naturally going to be broad-set in the shoulders. You can't starve that away. And in my insanity, I thought I could. Like, you can't change your bone structure. You just can't.
0: Now, thanks for sharing.
1: (laughs) But I was a brat, I starved myself, now I am not.
0: (laughs) And so let's go back to the sex thing, can we?
1: Yes. (laughs)
0: So initially when you are a teenager and you were repulsed by what all the girls were saying at school about their... Um, you know, it was
1: just terrifying. I remember mentioning it in like year, even in year nine sex ed. I was like, "This is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard." Of like, this sounds terrifying. And other girls talking about being fingered or being touched. I was like, "You just like no way. <laughs> that sounds horrific." Like, I was like, "They're gonna do what?" I wanted nothing to do with it, and was very avoidant of it for a long long time And um, like early experiences of porn was so graphic and so terrifying that I was like if that's what sexiest I don't want anything to do with it
0: who was showing you your early experiences found-
1: <laughs> of porn because this is is
0: it pre-internet or is it
1: um I think this is just as internet was kind of coming in but it wasn't something I went looking for I found a DVD of my brothers, who my brother is about five years older than me. And- Sounds about right. <laughs> and I was like, well, naturally we're curious as well, at this developmental stage. So I was like, okay, we'll have a look. <laughs> and it, it was just terrifying. And I have ta- heard people talk about just how violent and graphic porn is these days, that it's, it's not healthy for young minds. At all, mm. which I can attest to that, but it, it didn't make me think that that's what sex was, it just made me really frightened of it. I wanted nothing to do with it <laughs> now, it's like completely the opposite.
0: <laughs> um, okay, so but that's quite an arc, right? Let's let's try and fill in the arc a little bit. What, um, at what point did you think, Oh, yeah, that dude's kind of cute.
1: Oh, definitely. Around the time I started totally losing my shit, I remember making a distinct decision around the end of year 11 that I wanted to know what all of this was about, like sex and alcohol and the whole thing, because I felt like I'd missed out for years. I remember sitting in a meeting just before year 12 and they're saying, right, now all your scores count. And I was like, you're telling me all the shit that I did for the past, like X amount of years, all those A pluses means nothing. And now everyone can just try this year and it counts. Is that what you're telling me? I thought that was a load of shit. I was like, fine, then I'll go find out what everybody else has been doing that seems so fun and went on a bit of a crash course in, I suppose, drinking and boys and anything I could get my hands on. (laughs) Clumsily, very clumsily.
0: Yeah, so this is year, this is going before you went into year 12. Yeah, I was
1: around 16 because I was a year ahead, born in January. So I was.
0: And was it more fun than what you perceived that you meant to I thought it was
1: the best thing ever. Oh, right. (laughs) You
0: went from, I'm not sure (laughs) about this.
1: but but like the drinking and the drugs and the partying and dancing, I thought it was. Amazing. The dancing. <laughs> the dancing was incredible. Like, I was like, this is the best. And I, was like, I don't have to perform. I can drink this thing from a magic cask and I feel better about myself.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. Confidence well, in Alice a bottle. In Wonderland. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: like confidence in a bottle. Like, I thought it was just amazing. I was like, you mean I don't have to starve myself to feel good? I can just drink this and then I get to feel good.
0: Yeah. I had.
1: I remember reading a journal recently from that time, and I was like, "Just I'm so angry at everyone. All I want to do is drink with my friends." And I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> uh,
0: I have a visual diary in my cupboard over there that, from year eleven and twelve, has all the casks. <laughs> I cut out all the casks, bits of it, and wrote who I drank the cask with. <laughs> like trophies
1: <laughs> yeah I thought it was magic it was the best thing ever but it very quickly actually we're doing things to extremes did that to the extreme as well and destroyed a lot of relationships and I couldn't understand why I would sleep with somebody and then just dump them the next week and go sleep with somebody else why they were so upset I had I was like I don't like me so why do you like me like I don't understand caused a lot of damage very quickly But this is how we learn. I think that other people have feelings and they might think differently to you.
0: Yeah, um, but that's the tricky thing about like love and relationships. Full stop. Doesn't matter how old you get, right? It's like this is it's a tricky zone, you know, because there's so much nuance to it all. It's like, oh my fucking god, it's tiring. Um, But anyway, let's go back to you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just think it took me a long time to learn that. I was not the center of the universe because I was so wrapped up in my own insecurities and my own pain that I just never considered other people's thoughts or feelings and things and it caused a lot of chaos at that time so.
0: so so to your views and standpoint on sex today when did that first become an idea
1: I remember dating a guy who was a few years older than me, and that's when I first... I was probably only about 22. I was like, oh, sex can actually be enjoyable. Mm. Like, this is actually something that's fun. It's not something to be endured just so I can get that thing at the end, which was love or acceptance or, like, somebody wants you, which was all I was looking for when you're that insecure. Validation. Yeah. yeah. That's all I wanted when I was that age. But then... Like, he was a very gentle person and hypersexual, I guess. He was very interested in it all the time. So naturally, when it came around, I was like, oh, this can actually be good. Like, this can actually feel good. And then I probably started doing it a bit too often with all sorts of different people. The concept of monogamy always confused me because people always end up in so much trouble over this one thing like don't sleep with other people and yet so many people do it and so much drama and shoes around it so why don't we just do it
0: what is it there's a ego that like you know like for myself i love the idea of non-monogamy but in reality i fuck like i'm just too jealous i'm like no way no fucking way
1: (laughs) You, I you, just don't uh, like other people touching my thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Jay- I have my toy cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> people literally react like that. like the crazy toddler like reactions out of the concept is somebody else just engaging in what is a really basic human thing, animal thing. And yet people just go insane about it. I could never understand. I don't know whether it came from low self-esteem, so I couldn't understand why people would be with me in the first place. So, of course, you're going to go do stuff with other people. I don't give a shit.
0: No, right. but, you know, I'm just going to butt in because, like, I had a situation recently, right, where I was sleeping with someone for about six months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm pretty good at judging where I'm at in a scale of relationship and, like, a progression, you might say. So you go... Oh, like now this person's staying overnight. Oh now she's staying for two days. Oh she's left a toothbrush in the house. Oh yes. you know, it was sort of like these little telltales like oh, this is developing but never spoken about, right?
1: I love the dance around these things that people talk about and they're like there's bobby pins in the house, therefore it's a thing. I'm like, why don't we
0: just Well how do make going any more than three times? It's a thing. You know, like <laughs> Uh, Fucking.
1: People have these conversations nonstop. I wonder how much of our lives are dominated by talk about relationships, and I'm not immune to this. I'm like, what does that mean? What does this message mean? Well,
0: I got so here's my thing. I'm a pretty good read, right? I reckon I'm pretty good read on a situation, and it got to a point where, like, I was like, there was a weekend where there was a gap in the communication. And I was like, I fe- you know, energetically, you feel shit. And I was yeah, like, fuck, something's, something's gone off. Cold. Something's off. What the fuck? <laughs> and so I sent a text, so, yeah, what's up? And the response wasn't quite as warm as if I went back. And I'm like, you know, bullet a gate. Who else are you fucking?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love how they, for some reason, I'm not saying it's only men because women are just as bad for this. Some women I know are notorious for accusing their partners of sleeping with other people. But I'm not sure where it comes from, whether it's a jealousy thing or whether it's a – something has happened in our evolution to make that a necessary thing that we must keep a hold of what we've got.
0: Well, uh, hold on, let me finish. <laughs> I said, who else are you fucking? And she said, just one other person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you see, you should have had this conversation right from the start. I know. Hey, like, This conversation should have come up earlier.
0: Right. Yeah. Especially and I you dealing like,
1: with the younger generation today. All of a
0: sudden I was like, wow, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Why are you leaving a toothbrush in my house staying for two days? You know, like, I, I, you know, but that's my own projection onto something, as you said, that wasn't spoken about. It was never spoken. It took me a couple of weeks to process it all and and line it all up and go, yeah, I, I can swallow this pill now because. But
1: see, that's the. A- that's the main point. Like jealousy is just a flash of an emotion, and it's something we can overcome. Well, that's my opinion, anyway. Like I can feel it, and if I acknowledge it and I understand where it's coming from, perhaps it's an insecurity thing, perhaps it's a bit of hurt, then move past it. people will get stuck there. He will kill people over this. Shit. Well, this is
0: right. No, totally. Yeah. And it's it's like um, uh, that's but like for me. If that was a transparency... Like I said, look, if you had, we had it spoken about this from the very start, I would have compartmentalised my emotions a bit more and mm-hmm. not let myself get sort I mean, of what attached. hurts the
1: most is the unexpected and then what hurts oh, I think doubly. it's transparency. And what hurts doubly is being deceived. I don't... In my experience, and I've done a lot of wrong things in my life, is people just don't like being lied to. They really don't. Because it shakes their world. It shakes our sense of trust and how we view people and what's going on. So we just don't like being lied to. And it's not so much the act of adultery itself that I think hurts people it's the lies and
0: definitely definitely that's
1: the that stuff surrounding it is really painful and I have thought in the past that perhaps by keeping something secret and not just with sex but with like my eating disorder or drinking too much or anything I thought I was protecting people by keeping things secret People specifically told me it was the opposite. Like it was the deception that hurt more than the actual drinking or hurting yourself or whatever. They said they just don't like being lied to. And if you are able to be honest about this kind of thing, like, yes, I am seeing other people or I would like to see other people, let's table this discussion, then I think there's nothing wrong with that. No, no,
0: no. And look, honestly, I have a friend and... Um Something happened. He was married and, you know, one of, you know, his partner stepped out on him. You know what I mean by that?
1: Like,
0: yeah, she got a little bit of, Mr. Stepman. No, she's got a little bit of action on the side, right? Had a
1: bit of fun. Had a
0: little bit of fun. And um he says the part like, so they're not together because she was truthful with him. But had she been truthful and said, hey we've been in this for a long time now and I'm feeling this way he probably would have said oh okay I I get it too maybe let's try this thing but because of exactly what you said the lack of transparency the way I went around it it, the trust is broken so the communication was there from the start it might have been a different scenario and that is
1: also a very hard thing to do I mean we've created a society that expects us to be monogamous and like even particularly for women we created a trope where Madonna whore like you're one or the other and people like to label you as such and put you in that box so if you're that consistent Madonna (laughs) the good one for a guy then trying to bring it up that perhaps you had this other side of yourself and we all have different aspects of ourselves that perhaps you feel like doing something a bit different like it throws it out for people their concept of who you are and who you are in their life suddenly changes I think it's Really hard for us to bring that kind of stuff up with. Our oh, last it's a ones. difficult
0: conversation.
1: Extremely difficult, and particularly Australians who are modelled off the Brits, who are renowned for not talking about shit.
0: But being closet deviants.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like um, perhaps this problem isn't so arrive somewhere like Berlin. I don't know they seem a bit more open about this kind of thing.
0: yeah, I mean other cultures seem to be we are yeah it's repressed or something, but it's also like like the idea as we just talk about like it makes me a bit tight. like I feel that in me a tightening if I think, oh an open relationship or a polygamy poly- 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 whatever the fuck um, polyamorous, whatever the fuck they call it, uh, that makes gets I don't know why, but it plays on my insecurities. Definitely. And it's like, oh, well, because say you're in love with, this is the part that I don't get. So you say you're really in love with someone, right?
1: Then I don't want to sleep with anybody else anyway.
0: No, but other people do. They say that they can be in love and yet sleep with other people. But I think that if you're really in love with someone and you're sleeping with other people, then you're opening up the, the door to fall in love with someone else and wreck the love that you have over here.
1: But you made that synonymous. You made sex and love a synonymous thing. They're not. They're two very separate things. Sometimes they come together and you love this person and you can have sex with them.
0: But what if, like, the connection's so fucking good (laughs) over here that you're like, well, I mean, I can't leave this Connection. Why would
1: I want to jeopardize that? Because humans are notorious. No, no, for- no,
0: no. I mean, you've got the special connection over here, and then you're over here and you sleep with this person, and you're like, oh my God, this is the most fireworks fucking shit I've ever had. I want more of this. And suddenly it becomes sure you've got an agreement here, but this becomes more important because it's like a drug, and you're like, I need that person more. And so suddenly you've sort of burnt down the house over here. I'm That's people the insecurity. Do some pretty
1: extraordinary things over sex and love. I mean, people make movies, books, everything about this topic all the time. I mean, if it's so frowned upon, why do we focus on it so much? It's the driving force of every day. <laughs> <laughs> but like you've got this loving, secure, tender relationship over here. Naturally, especially in a society that says you can always have more. People naturally go looking for what else they can find or have. And, um, but well, I, suppose, I feel but not, like if you I had suppose porn's con- a safe out. Yeah. And if you had that safe conversation with your partner about what you're willing to explore, I think some amazing and fun things can happen. But also, if that's not your boat, I accept that some people, this is just fine. Like their relationship, their marriage is just fine for them. I something i always come across as difficult in work is like am i encouraging people let's back it up
0: what's (laughs) what's work which work
1: like i became a sex worker probably in my early 20s
0: so okay let's go back to the 20 was this around when you're talking about this relationship at 22
1: yeah shortly after that okay and Um, so
0: what, what this is something that i'm really curious about when did that seed permeate in your mind that you're like oh Okay, well, I, can, I can make a quid here
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can say it genuinely wasn't this idea naturally money is a driving force in these things but I, I wanted to know if I could because there was this perception of myself as highly studious, very innocent probably a bit messed up with eating disorders which are all very childlike things but we associate them with childlike things and, and coming into this place where I actually felt kind of Sexy, confident, it was a different world to me, but I didn't feel comfortable enough exploring that in my own personal life.
0: And then this... Wow, there's another secret. Yeah, it's like this
1: idea of being someone that you're not... And being able to explore your sexuality in that way and get paid for it plus i remember going on a few tinder dates and people telling me all the right things having sex with me and then buggering off i was kind of like well what do i get out of this nothing it's not even good sex so why not get paid for bad sex Seems like the logical step in my mind. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> and the first day I did it, I was like, this is the worst idea I've ever had. I feel just really stupid. Like, I felt like I was like a child wearing their like adult clothing or something. I felt really silly, but, um, and it was terrifying and it was gross. I was like, this is horrific. How do people do this? And, but when I got paid at the end of the day, I was addicted.
0: <laughs> a whole day.
1: At the, they used to pay sex workers at the end of the day. That's an old sort of way of running things. Now you get paid for each service directly at the time.
0: Uh, so this was in a brothel circumstance?
1: Yeah, mostly I've worked in brothels. Now I have a few private clients. I find doing private things a bit difficult because of safety and just wanting to feel safe and secure. But there are a few people I've known for years, so that's... Like I feel perfectly comfortable.
0: Do you get a better rate working for absolutely. yourself? Absolutely,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. But I mean, in a brothel, you're you're surrounded by other people. Like you're in your environment. They also pay for things like towels, and like they're making sure this whole place is set up and running and everything sanitized. And yeah, yeah. And so it is a lot easier, but they are taking forty to forty-five percent. Of that money,
0: forty-five.
1: Uh, sometimes <laughs> you can sway them on other times, <laughs> but mostly, yeah, they almost take around forty percent, and that is a big cut to the money. But still, it's still a lot of money. That first day when I got paid, I think it was about nine hundred and seventy bucks. Like to someone who'd only worked. And what
0: year was this? Because it's a big difference. I think early two thousands. When, when, when what were two thousand six?
1: No, we're talking like, God, I was still in high school then. Calm down.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I haven't got a track of time.
1: Calm down. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, right. It was more like... 2012. Like 13, 14. All right, yeah. Yeah. um. Yeah, okay, 2012. (laughs) And this is before I learned that you could charge for extras. Like there's no playbook on how how to be a sex worker like they kind of just throw you into this blind it's not like you have a six-week training program did anyone take you under their wing this woman that was with me was nuts legit nuts (laughs) (laughs) she was that shit crazy and she kind of just threw me a bunch of towels and said like just do it like you normally do which meant that I was giving a lot of extra service to people when I could have been charging for it and I didn't have to do that much like I thought you had to give your all for absolutely everybody all the time right yeah 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 but you learn on the job and that's how it happens but um I thought it was really gross the first day like you're kind of young and repulsed by bodies and Mm it was really graphic (laughs) full on but at the end of the day I got paid a certain amount of money and I was like wow and that's what most people are addicted to is the money
0: yeah no I get get that Um, because the energy aspect of you know it's an energy thing, right? Sometimes it's like, I don't know. I don't know if you've tuned in or out of that or... or, But you can be left with an energy from someone, right, if you sleep with them. And that's usually the icky feeling, I think, that you've engaged with someone that's not your natural energy vibe.
1: Yeah, and it's very difficult to convince your body to do something that it actually, on a very base level, doesn't want to do. Uh, If you're not attracted to someone, when I am attracted to someone, it's so much fun and it's kind of amazing. And then I get paid for it. It's like this massive bonus. But quite often you're not attracted to the person. And whilst I find the emotional care quite easy, I've always been kind of empathetic. And I like listening to other people and their stories. And I, I like making other people feel good and feel happy.
0: Do some people just want to talk?
1: Some people, not as much as you'd think. (laughs) Plenty of people like talking, but there's like a lot of people, it's not. Like there's this, I read an article in the paper recently and it was like trying to paint sex work as something that it completely isn't. Like this idea that most people they have disabilities and they need our support and our care and a lot of clients just want to talk and be held and hugged and that is true
0: you guys are the glue of society Yeah, yeah
1: sometimes that is true I do see people with disabilities and some people just are too nervous to talk to girls so they just can't get yeah even close to one Um, that happens occasionally. But a lot of people, they genuinely, they just want to fuck something. Mm -hmm. That's not their wife. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And all too many want it to be quite graphic, like porn. And they want something they can't get at home. And it's difficult, painful. Like, sometimes a fuck ton of hard work just because people are so annoying. Um. But I have always found it fun and interesting, like from the shittest days to the best days. It's never dull, that's for sure.
0: So, you know, um, you're studying now and still working. Yes. And it's like you've got the twin life happening. (laughs)
1: a little bit and sometimes I forget that other people aren't so open or this isn't their everyday life is sex and nudity and that kind of thing and that can stump me sometimes
0: (laughs) what because you put your foot in it or just because of what someone says to you
1: no, I'll put my foot in a lot of people will I'm very used to the stigma that surrounds sex workers and the shock value of it. Like they're pretty used to it by now. But like when I'm just talking to people or often get in trouble for getting changed at the wrong times. Like mm. apparently mm. change rooms are a thing. Mm. <laughs> so mm. I'm so mm. used to nope. Being n- naked yeah, yeah, around yeah. people, <laughs> I just forget sometimes, and it's just not a big deal to me anymore. Or sex isn't a big deal, so navigating relationships is difficult. Like, there's a lot of sacrifice that comes with it, I suppose. And, like you're saying, that dual life, like, on one hand, you're supposed to be
0: well. Like, the, sorry, I'm gonna cut you off. But like, in um, you know, I said the, that girl, not expecting a response of, I oh, just want other person. Um, <laughs> it's like in Chopper. <laughs> who else are you fucking? <laughs> Everybody, Chopper. No, I mean, but like, fucking. Who are you kissing?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that seems so funny.
1: I had to go back and watch that after you told me that one. I was like, that's gold. It just makes you a bit abrupt with people, especially about something that we usually associate with love and care and tenderness. And you can be quite abrupt about...
0: This is my special moment only for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It kind of makes you a bit cold or callous when it comes to those things. Like perfunctory.
0: (laughs) So going back, um, like, so, I find this bit interesting. So you're paying tax on some of this wage Mm -hmm. and yet, um, and the bank won't lend you any money to buy a house.
1: Oh, you found this bit interesting? Yeah, very. There are, from what I've been told from other girls, a lot of former forums online and stuff that some banks specifically don't like working with sex workers if you're sort of very open about it. Um, I make a decent living and you work off your own ABN. It's basically like being a subcontractor. You don't work for brothels. Yeah, I get it. You basically rent rooms off them. And so you declare all your income, you use your ABN and everything, and my wage is decent but unpredictable and have been told that a loan would be extremely difficult. Now, given that, I've only spoken to, like, two brokers, but... If I really wanted to, I reckon I could go shop around. But there's also that idea of being tied to a mortgage isn't so fun. Okay, okay. <laughs> like, it's, it's a dream, but I don't know if it's something that I want to... If it's going to be that difficult, I think I'd rather just finish my degree and go off. There are people that make decent careers out of sex work in any realm. But it certainly isn't me forever. <laughs>
0: No, I mean, not that I know, but I wouldn't imagine that it's it's a, it's a lifespan of a, a thing. But um, you know, you could always you be a madam.
1: <laughs> oh my god! And deal with women like sex so no, doesn't I'm attract the joking. most forward-thinking people. Yeah. <laughs> or you just—I
0: bet you just you've met some amazing people though.
1: Some extraordinary people. Some of the most annoying people in my life, like drugs obviously are a lot more rife in the industry um although the women I work with at the moment it's a lot less than you'd think like um a lot of people are just trying to make ends meet yeah yeah um some really extraordinary women who are studying and doing really cool stuff with their lives and they're just smart enough to cash in on something
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, look, it seems, I think it's more common than what we realise is that people don't talk about it too much about, you know.
1: Yeah, and that's what I probably struggle with because I've always been one to be quite, you know, wear my heart on my sleeve a bit. I'd prefer to talk about it with people so that they kind of know where I'm coming from most of the time. I don't particularly like keeping secrets. and I find it kind of exhausting after years of it, with eating disorders, drugs, alcohol, like... <laughs> or of keeping things secret I'd rather just be upfront from the beginning um I don't think there's anything wrong with talking about sex I don't think there's anything wrong with visiting a brothel there's nothing wrong with having normal like consensual marriages <laughs> if that's what you want I just think people should be honest with each other about what they're doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Beat to the... Uh, dance to the... Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> dance to the beat of your own drum. Yeah. You and, know? Can, and if and your truth work. is this, then this. Go and do it. Be happy. Yeah. And be happy for other people living to their truth.
1: And if, it can work have, in any realm. Like I work with women who have healthy relationships. I work with women that have healthy open relationships, healthy monogamous relationships. Like everybody finds what works for them. And, like, maybe I always end up doing sex work because I get to meet all sorts of different people and they are all sorts of different lives. I suppose it's similar to this. You get to talk to people and they can tell you some extraordinary things. And, like, that never judge a book by its cover thing. It always surprises me. Every time.
0: (laughs) Oh, when when you like think someone's one thing and then you learn that they're another thing
1: yeah like I mean naturally racism is quite pervasive in any any walk of this life I suppose but sometimes what you'll expect from somebody is just completely different never cease to be amazed at how decent some people can be how awful some others can be and like you just can never tell whether it's their age race gender whatever you just can't tell Mm. (laughs) like until you actually sit down and get to know somebody it's just impossible to judge them and people are very teachable and kind i think generally underneath some fronts
0: (laughs) yeah no totally um like someone that we both know and I you know I thought was a dorky dad you know who I'm talking about? No. Yeah and he's not with us anymore you know and never judge a book oh, by his cover. Oh yeah and
1: what he was able to get up to. <laughs>
0: you know in his life really and I just thought he was a dorky dad from the suburbs
1: mm-hmm.
0: and yet he was one of the most
1: I just met some absolutely extraordinary people when i was people from certain cultures and I assume that they're just going to be like this, just like the last guy and then they tell me extraordinary stories and i had a guy tell me recently that he was in some Thai prison camp for doing things with the media and stuff. And a client? Yeah. Wow. And it was just it just blew me away. He was talking about the trauma of it and just the experience. And it a was, Thai prison camp? Yeah and it sounded like some of the most horrific things but then to have them just was he a journalist? What was his bag? He was a journalist, but he'd gotten into a lot of trouble in that way. And something about, like, someone from the family had to give up a certain amount of time. And it was just terrifying stuff. And, like, I just didn't see it when I walked in the room. Like, you just never know what somebody has been through. Yeah. Um I know i get to experience this all the time but don't get me wrong people can be really awful and <laughs> like oh, there's totally. a certain type of i don't know like extreme customer service i guess like if things go wrong and somebody isn't happy it's kind of ups the ante when you're both naked
0: <laughs> have you feared for your life
1: no never that Never that bad, no. It's just really uncomfortable, especially because it's not like someone saying the food's bad. It's saying you and your body and what you do with your body is bad. Your service is bad. Yeah, (laughs) you're bad. It takes a certain sort of tough skin to not take that on board as a person. Like you can review sex workers on the internet, like you can review your local cafe. Right. And some of them can be quite harsh. But that's you and your body and your personality, and you can't help but bring aspects of yourself to your service. And if someone attacks it, it's a bit of an ego crush.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, totally, totally. And as much as you have to compartmentalize, I suppose, with it's very hard because it's easy when things are good, even in all sorts of realms, right? But yeah. when you know someone could tell me that they don't like my coffee, I'll be mm-hmm. like fuck not getting anywhere in my coffee
1: area (laughs) (laughs) but somebody says something about your body and who you are as a person it's quite confronting I remember the first few times I took it so personally like it was crushing whereas these days I have to kind of reconcile where people are coming from well, that. it's a numbers
0: game. You can't please everyone.
1: No, exactly. I'm like, so, sometimes I walk into the room and somebody will say something like, oh, I can't believe there are fat chicks here. And I'm like, dude, there is something for everybody here. I'm like, this part of the reason I like working here is there's such a mismatch of age, like weight, like how, like ethnicity. Like it's such a, an array of different people it makes it kind of really quirky and there is always something for everyone this is the first thing I kind of learned was I thought that just being thin meant that you were pretty but there are guys that come in I'm like yeah he's definitely my type he's like he's so like feeling it getting that vibe and then he just picks somebody way off the charts he wants somebody big butt, (laughs) like You just can't pick it.
0: Yeah, and so does that. Can you? If you're not in a stable frame of mind, take that the wrong way. You know, like if you're having
1: a bad night and like somebody has you get like you get knocked back multiple times, it takes a lot to just go, okay, this isn't my night because we all don't like rejection. No, and you're literally in a lineup asking someone to say. You're the most fuckable. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. <laughs> like that gets a bit like painful after a while. As much as we'd like to believe in our higher selves ten times it's like, if, like You know, you're in, not, in the
0: school, yeah, when yeah. you're picking the fucking footy team. It's yeah, like exactly. um, Who's the guy I still left against the wall?
1: Um I can guarantee that'll happen sometimes a night would put you back in your place. Like that you're not for everybody. <laughs> Like, apparently people want big boobs this evening and you just haven't got that. But in saying that, it taught me that, like, everyone is kind of beautiful in their own right. Like, um, what someone will see is unattractive. If someone sees is it, just gorgeous and amazing and it's... Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, yes. as they say. And I think that helped a little bit with me accepting who I am as a person and my body because no matter what weight I was, somebody always found it beautiful, And in them pointing out what they found attractive and what they thought was beautiful, I suddenly could start to appreciate it myself. Like someone saying to me, like, I was just so athletic. Your shoulders and your back, you look so strong and healthy. Suddenly what I had hated about myself became an admirable trait, and I could start to see that as well, which is nice. Mm. It's beautiful. Mm. And watching someone become more attractive when their personality comes out, Like, someone might not look that great visually, but when their personality comes through, they can just become really adorable people. Mm. (laughs) I suppose adorable is a bit of a childlike way to describe it, but they can be really, really wonderful. And it comes back that don't judge a book by its cover.
0: Yeah. And, like, you know, I think the connection is the vulnerability, you know, and... Like not um, having... When you can get outside an idea of something.
1: Yeah, and suddenly you start to realise that we're all a lot more similar than we are different, especially when you're naked. (laughs) 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 Like, you're right, it is kind of vulnerable, very vulnerable, but also really freeing. I have had better sex at work than I have in my personal life because there is a freedom of the expectations and, you know, that feeling of, like, I really want someone to like me or I want them to like this. I don't know what I'm doing is right. And that seems to really take away from the present moment, whereas I know he likes me. He just paid for it. So, meh, we're free to say whatever now. And, like, I want them to have a good time because they just paid for it, so... Easier, <laughs> so much easier than the mindfuckery that is relationships like I don't envy it sometimes
0: um, and you uh, so you where, where so I suppose where we're at now where, where does the um how do you feel about the next the next chapter? I suppose you've been through a lot to get to this point with um, eating sobriety getting a clear understanding and healthy image of your own body and who you are and you
1: know oh, I mean, like, that's owning a very, your
0: space on earth
1: like obviously there was a lot of pain and a lot of like I think not just nights but like years of just being alone with yourself and your depression and your anxiety and your own pain and like it's a very very slow moving thing but To me it just proves that like anyone and anything it can get better if you just keep trying. Like just keep doing it. Which that sounds cliche in a way, but like I I never believed anything could get any better. I thought that was how I was gonna feel for the rest of my life and I remember wiser, older people telling me like it's it does always get better and it's not supposed to be this hard and you will feel better eventually if you just stick at it I'm thinking they were ludicrous and nuts and you don't understand me I <laughs> kind of shit but starting to feel better now is just incredible Like my father constantly told me he's like you're just having a particularly hard go at it at the moment <laughs> it's not so serious like you will start to feel all right and now things get to feel so good it's amazing like isn't it
0: nice though sorry to cut you off but isn't it nice to just feel you know feeling good in clarity is such a like
1: (sighs) yeah it's like um when i went to rehab like almost two years ago now and that final sort of commitment I don't want to do this anymore I don't want to die this way I'll do whatever it takes I just don't want to die this way I just said that um, I want some peace I don't want to be super happy or amazing or anything I just want some peace and that's exactly what I got <laughs> like it's just easy and I don't have to shame myself for anything I can be a sex worker and be proud of it <laughs> like i uh, it's fun. I enjoy it, and then I've got to go back to school and study and do more things that I enjoy. Suddenly, life seems really boundless instead of just this constant, monotonous, painful slog of alcoholism.
0: <laughs> well, it seems to uh, uh, becoming a life of service. You know, like from nursing, making, helping, feeling people, helping people feel. Better than the other end of the spectrum. You're helping other people feel better, um, you know.
1: Which is always fun. I don't know if other uh, you. Some people might feel like it's taking from them helping another person, but I think most people want to help each other, and it does feel ten times better than doing something for myself. Like I still love to get my hair done and all that kind of shit, but I like, making someone else feel good makes me feel incredible and when it comes from a genuine place where it's not costing me my own sense of self or i'm in pain it just feels 10 times better like i'm okay you're okay (laughs) and it all starts from you but like that was a difficult lesson to learn wasn't it really hard
0: (laughs) have you seen the tiger woods documentary
1: no what does he say about it
0: (laughs) it's just no it's just like you know um i just thought it was really really amazing to see this guy that was trained in a certain way from time he could walk pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and and to become like most people will get pushed like that never make the the oracle or the, the prophecy that the parent had told this person that they would become and it fulfilled but there was such a part of his personality that wasn't developed because it was so in the, on, on, you know, the blinkers had been on and it was like just that track. And then, the the wheels right if you're not a fully developed person life will just teach you its own lessons the lessons it's meant to live in and he fell so fucking hard
1: yeah, you know it, it kind of I, every time I see an elite sports person I almost I really feel for them because even though I was nowhere near the top of my sport it was an all consuming thing for so long that when it was gone I had no idea who I was I had no idea how to function or just accept being average or just being Mm. like there was once you've lost that drive and all those kind of things you just have no concept of who you are where you fit what i'm supposed to do and you see in a lot of elite sports people a lot of them go off the rails when he he went
0: off right he went to the bottom and then but what the beautiful part was is it followed him through picking back up yeah you know and seeing a full circle of life and death and his own kids sort of grow Uh, yeah check it out i mean I, I, I cried.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a big call.
0: It, but really the, it really played on me at the end. It was just like, wow, what a mm, journey. It up like
1: that argument, like, can we really be full people until we've gone to a certain extent of low? Like, I meet some people and I'm grateful that they haven't experienced too much hardship or that kind of stuff, but something feels missing. Like, people that have gone to shit and then pick themselves back up seem to have this whole other aspect to them <laughs> I think.
0: well yeah yeah i mean everyone's on their own thing right it's just fucking but <laughs> <laughs> fucking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, then again i don't know what anybody's going through i think everybody goes through a tough time i used to think it was quite unique my experience but it's it's really not.
0: <laughs> you don't have to look far. You really don't. There's so many people who are suffering in so many ways and so many people are living in so much joy but yet have an aspect of their life that's causing suffering. You know, it's not black and white and it's never all just one-dimensional. You can be happy and well and have aspects that's of sad. life.
1: Buddhist thing that says, like, they don't want to be happy, they just want to suffer well because life is made up of so much suffering. It's about how And then you fucking die. And then you die. <laughs> But it's about how you cope with it. It's about how you manage that level of suffering. Like, I like the idea that these days bad things can happen and I can still maintain a consistent, reliable person for other people in my life.
0: Yeah, that's, that is... Yeah, totally.
1: And that seems something a lot more honourable than just collapsing into a heap and being quite selfish and self-obsessed every time something went wrong. I
0: got this piece of information and then I'm going to have a fucking bender
1: (laughs) because of
0: this information.
1: (laughs) 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 So I was like, anything I can take away from it, it's like at least I am a person that is there for my family and the few loved ones that I have in my life and you can actually be a part of it for them which is so much nicer.
0: (laughs) That is awesome. Yeah, that is nice. Yeah, totally. You become um, a person. Yeah, and just to be reliable, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's the only thing I probably wanted so badly was just to have that trust and consistency back and know that your family members actually believe in you now.
0: Well, when you're not living... Not that you're living, you know, you know, you know internally when you've got more. I've felt that before. Like, yeah. I knew I had so much more to, to give that I just wasn't giving to yeah. life and to my friends and family. You know, they were getting one aspect and that was it. And, and that,
1: is, uh, that is one of the most soul-crushing feelings I've had, like, is knowing that I could be... So much better than what I was doing and where I was. And I had so much more to contribute to family and friends academically, like work-wise. Just I had a lot more to give and becoming a person who I now feel like I'm actually living to some kind of potential. I could always do better, but at least I'm contributing in some fashion. Yeah. (laughs) Like it feels like you're actually doing something for people instead of costing society a lot of money. <laughs> one day I'll pay the government back for all those hospital admissions maybe.
0: Um, I'm not going to say your name because we're keeping it and anonymous, but I want to say thank you so much.
1: Yeah, this isn't so scary. Thank you.
0: Yeah, were you a little bit daunted? <laughs> Terrified. Thanks so much for walking into the terror.
1: (laughs) I enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Uh, My pleasure. Well, there you have it. There was my chat with none other than, uh, I'll do the finger thing when you go Amber uh, Smith, Amber Smith. Um, uh, Amber, (laughs) thanks so much for coming around. I really appreciate it. And for everyone else um, listening, does it make you feel like a little bit vanilla? Like, you know, <laughs> keeping it between the hedges? Anyway, uh, whoever you are out there in the world, look, um, thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for um, coming on this ride. Um, I hope this find you all well. Um, I know I'm a little dark and cynical sometimes and and I I, look, I just like to explore. I like to look at all the angles. I I don't like to take things on face value just because someone says something and and therefore I should believe it. You know, I just, I want to dig in a bit. I'm a a question asker. -er. Um, And I think it's healthy. I think it's healthy to have a look at all the angles. So if you're out there and you know someone on the dark web... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, until next time, I hope you're well and um, arrivederci.